have to do against this guy. Yeah, more in the mood for a beer right now. Um, <laughs> So welcome to The Backhanders. This is a podcast that brings you all the ins and outs from the greatest game on earth, covering each tennis slam and unafraid to slam tennis. This is a podcast that delivers slicing commentary, unprofessional analysis, and a pure passion for the soap opera antics associated with the world of professional tennis. My name is Lightning. I'll be your host for this podcast. And with me, a man whose life is one constant code violation, whose tennis commentary is one long racket of abuse, Catters. <laughs> Catters, welcome. Lightning, so great to be with you on this stormy Copenhagen evening. Not often that we get a chance to talk to each other about tennis since I have moved to the cold north of uh, Scandinavia here in Denmark, uh, but... I do recall with great fondness all of our teenage antics going to the Australian Open each year, talking tennis, trash-talking players, often within earshot, um, and uh, contributing to their overall just sense of anguish as they would, the European players particularly would just melt on the outdoor courts. Outdoor courts? Outside courts. Yes, this was, pre, this was pre-Roofs. This was when men were men and women were fainting all over the place. <laughs> I, I can't say I disagreed with Tennis Australia's uh, deportation of you after some of your <laughs> antics at the Open, but, you know. I, they told me I was going to a better place. Um, <laughs> little did I know that Denmark does not have quite the uh, rich history of tennis that I expected. Um, I was deceived by Karolina Wozniacki, who um, I'm pretty sure I could beat um, <laughs> any court, any time. But, of course, the silver lining for us as a podcast means we have a deep, intimate connection with European tennis, which you are totally across, and you'll bring that that insight throughout the podcast as we move forward. So, Katis, it's worth allowing the listeners to get to know us a little bit more, aside from just where we live. Of course, I'm coming to you from from Melbourne, nice and close to the the Aussie slam here. But uh, let's just throw out some bits and pieces to help people familiarise themselves with us. Katis, mm. who who's your favourite player? So I yeah that you did mention you flagged this up. So um, sorry, listeners. Spoiler alert: I had uh, a little bit of notice, but my I didn't have time to actually ask you: was this a current player or a former player? Um, so I have four for you. Um, I've split them into uh, both men's and women's, and uh, current and former players. The current players: I'm a massive fan of Gabina Muguruza, or as the Spaniards would like to call her, Mugaruza. I'm pretty sure. Um, oh, sorry, I just. Um, was choking on something there. Um, she's one of my favorites. I think her attitude is good. I think there's a lot of upside to her game. I don't think she's quite delivered on the potential yet, but I find her incredible to watch. Just hammers the ball. Really good on clay, really good on grass. Yeah, so I'm a huge fan. Uh, from the men's side currently, I like. I still like Gail Monfries or Monfries. I remember seeing him for the first time about 12 years ago at the Aussie Open. Uh, I think it was actually his debut slam, and he was just all arms and legs. I can't remember. I think he beat Baghdadis in a, I want to say maybe a round two night match at uh, Rod Laver, and he was just lighting up the court and doing the robot to celebrate, and he just brought this wave of fresh air to the, the sport of tennis. Since then, he's like you know most of the the french players completely disappointed me um but i still feel like there's some potential buried there so he he's a tease uh gail he, he is. is a tease he's a piece of elastic that man he is he's great to watch so and i mean i have to say it as well i'm just a massive federer fan because mm. he is just the incredible uh, Rolls Royce, and how can you not admire that um, whenever you see him play on any surface except for clay? Because clay <laughs> and tennis do not mix, kids. <laughs> yeah, so that, that, it's that sort of unbiased commentary that you're going to get from us um, in future podcasts. 
How about you, Lightning? Of course, I'll come back to my previous players at another another stage. But uh, I was going to say the maths the maths wasn't adding up there, so I'm, <laughs> I'm glad you've clarified. Oh, I got two up my sleeve, but um, for the slackers that just showed up last minute and picked a player at random, please share with me your favorite players. <laughs> well, I will pluck at random one, uh, Martina Hingis. Uh, really, it's hard to go. Oh, I mean, just the, the class of the woman. I mean to become the second person to win a slam when physically shorter than the actual net is pretty amazing. Yes. So it is great. It was amazing yes. watching someone who, I mean, every volley she played was, was a smash, you know, it was incredible. And watching her play with Amanda Kurtzer was like watching kind of a tennis version of football, you know, or a scene from <laughs> honey, I shrunk the kids or something. These two little midgets <laughs> were kind of running around hunt, <laughs> hunting this giant ball and trying to bash it back over the net. I, but I still remember. I they still were actually, remember. when you think about it, and you know, I've I've played my fair share of Wii Tennis. They were ahead of the curve, weren't they? Because they were like the characters from Wii Tennis, but twenty years before the technology had been developed. <laughs> oh man! And look, with Hingis, I still remember that amazing forehand drive across that fourteen-year-old linesman's cheek in the '99 French Open. I mean, the shot of the tournament. Uh, she yeah. was, but look, Ingus it, was. Uh, you know, they were like, thinking of actually taking action and suspending her until the technicality that her lawyer pointed out that the French Open is not a legitimate tournament. <laughs> well played, Swiss Miss. Well played. <laughs> oh dear! But look, and do know. you have a male favorite, or are you just putting all of your eggs in the Swiss basket? Well. <laughs> Because I tell you what, her physique, she cannot carry it. No. <laughs> Those eggs are going all over the court. That's true. Look, I I mean, I, I, I'm taken to players like Yannick Noah for no other reason <laughs> because his name's funny and his hair was cool. Um, yes. Look, I, I love the quirkier players on our tournament, the, the slightly mm-hmm. left of centres. So certainly I'll be highlighting those throughout our podcast. Catters. I'm dying to know who your older players are. Who have your past players been? My past players were actually, um, it's a little more serious, Matt. I mean, we've had a lot of fun today already, but I think I'll bring the tone down a little bit. He's not dead, but let's just remember Andre Agassi. Brilliant player. I read his book probably seven times, open, the autobiography. Loved it. Could totally relate to the fact that, you know, he said that his father used to take him out into the desert and make him hit 10,000 balls a day. My father would often ask me to clean my room. Just, yeah, just felt like he really understood me. Um, So he's probably my favorite male player. And um, thanks for nothing, because my favorite female player was one Amanda Kurtzer. Wow, um, there you go. Yes, according to her Wikipedia page, which I updated about two hours ago, she helped abolish apartheid in South Africa. <laughs> so just incredible woman. And really made being short cool well before Lord of the Rings brought hobbits into the mainstream media. So massive fan. Through the 90s, I thought she was a brilliant player. So those are those are two of the icons of my childhood. Um I guess we'll never know what yours were because you didn't do your homework. <laughs> Another pattern and theme that we'll develop across this podcast, but thank you for highlighting it, Catters. It's fair to say people now intimately know us and what we're about, this unlikely doubles pairing that we are. Well, let's uh, put that behind us. Let's dive into some analysis with a new segment, a segment we like to call Come On. I've got nothing in my head. I'm just really excited and I want to hug the whole stadium. So, Catters, what are you excited about coming straight out of this Australian Open? Um, first of all, I, I love that you referenced it as a new segment. I hope you do that for all of them, considering it's a new podcast <laughs> on our first episode. What am I excited about? Well, there's plenty to be excited about. I think that's why we're such tennis heads, is that we were able to mine for gold in what was otherwise uh, a coal mine of a tournament, I will tell you. It was pretty uh, predictable at times. But I have three words for you. Three words that you should never, ever Google. Petra Kvitova hand. Um, <laughs> I remember my, my GP, my doctor once saying, Ben, when you get sick, don't try and Google the symptoms. Well, 
I made the mistake about 12 months ago of Googling the term Petra hand, which revealed images that I could not forget for many days, weeks, and months. And then when I forgot them, I went and Googled them again recently, uh, having forgotten that I'd Googled them the first time. And all I can say is that it's the wonder diet I didn't expect. Uh, it, I just can't believe, I mean, I grew up watching slasher films and Nev Campbell's come back in Scream, Scream 2, Scream 3, Scream 4, has nothing on what Kvitova <laughs> managed um, to have experienced what she experienced, and in all seriousness, to have warded off an intruder less than, was yeah. it two years prior That's to the right. tournament? Her yeah. surgeon thought that she might not play again. Her coach was unsure if she could. She was obviously and understandably completely bereft of confidence coming back from that. To see what she was able to do on court, using her her tennis hand was the one that was severely damaged by the knife attack. That's right. And I can, again, I cannot say enough. Um, viewers, listeners, please Google those three words so that you can share in my discomfort how they pieced back together that hand. I thought she would come back looking like Robocop, but she looks like a normal human and she played like a superhuman I thought it was inspirational. That's what I'm excited about. Petra Kvitova making the final in blistering form. Uh, she looked irrepressible. And I actually thought that she was going to pull off an absolute Houdini against Osaka when she managed to salvage that second set. But alas, it wasn't enough, beaten by a better player. But she has got me excited for women's tennis again. Absolutely. I think it was in that second set when she was on toast. I think that's when she activated the robotic arm. <laughs> okay, all yes. All of a sudden. Yeah, yeah, that might make but sense. An incredible effort. That's a really good pickup, Cutters. A really good pickup. I mean, as you said, the results on the whole weren't completely unexpected. So we had to look for the left of center elements to to really get excited about. For me, it was you know Pablo Buster's capitulation against Nishikori. We've all seen it. We've all watched the YouTube clips hundreds of times. We've all tried to put hip-hop beats to it and laugh along and make it into dance tracks. Everyone knows he's up. He has the game in his hands against Nishikori in the fifth set in a tiebreaker and a call that most experts agree was most likely correct, and he went nuclear. He went absolutely nuclear. So, I mean, I remember not being allowed to watch Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles after school as a kid. And I remember letting the neighborhood know about it, but it had nothing on this. This made McEnroe look like a librarian. This was yes. unbelievable. The, the call was definitely technically correct, but that was of little consolation to Pablo because he went cray cray and Nishikori you have to hand it to him because if there's one thing that he does well it's just he is so level-headed he can just plow through so he was like he didn't do anything remotely interesting in those last five points of the super tie break other than just getting the ball back and Pablo did the rest had the greatest of mental implosions and, and I love the footage and you can check it out on YouTube the footage that the Australian Open telecast released where not only did they show the implosion on court, but they then tracked with him for a good 200-meter walk through the tunnels of Melbourne, where he uh, set fire to a couple of ball kids. Uh, he <laughs> burnt a couple of national flags, which I thought was unnecessary. Um, Buster, that is the South Korean flag, not the Japanese flag. So... Um, <laughs> And that's what we love at the Open. Absolutely. Oh, like you were saying, Catters, I love that Channel 7 didn't just let him throw his bag on court like a tea bag, but followed him the entire way off the court, talking to himself, inventing opponents that he would wrestle yeah. with in the change rooms. I mean, the GoPro that they ended up mounting to the end of his bed uh, that evening, I thought was <laughs> probably going one step too far. But um, yeah. <laughs> But who would who would have known that he had a had a life size effigy of Nishikori in his Hilton residence that he decided to set fire to while sleepwalking at three a.m. So I guess the coverage paid off in the long term. Lots to be excited about. To be honest, too, another thing that excited me was seeing Alexis Olympia hit the uh, training track, 
Uh, Serena's been really keen to get her daughter out there with racket in hand, so starting early, which is fantastic. So we'll see her in the next few years, rest assured. I think she's entering her in mixed doubles next oh, that, uh, well, Australian Open. So To be fair, with that gene pool, I think she's uh, a pretty good chance of, of success. So uh, if we can get <laughs> an Australian passport in her hand, she would be playing Fed Cup uh, right about now. <laughs> It's a, it's a low bar at times, the Australian tennis, so we would accept her in a heartbeat. Warning to listeners from the outset, there will be an Australian tinge uh, <laughs> and, and a, a bitter tinge to most conversations given our, um, our background. We are both Australian and we have ventured to many an Australian Open over the years and uh, sat in the blistering heat watching many, many an unknown Australian throw in the towel prematurely. Correct. We do have a few axes to grind, one could say. That's right. There's a lot of gold statues of tennis players around the Open, and they do actually now have a mounted gold towel that Australians <laughs> have thrown in. It is, it is the official towel uh, that they're honouring, <laughs> the collective towel that has been thrown in by mainly women's tennis for the last 30 years. So shout out to Sam Stoza, monumental effort beating Serena in the US Open final as the gigantic asterisk, which is also going to be set in bronze and bestowed upon <laughs> Rod Laver Arena uh, as of next year, I believe. And for those who aren't huge tennis fans and perhaps only watch the Australian Open if you are here in Australia, uh, you may not know that Sam Stoza has actually won tennis matches before. <laughs> That's true. You wouldn't have known that by seeing her singles efforts. Great to see that she ventured into uh, the dark arts of mixed doubles, was it? <laughs> uh, women's women's oh was it the women's doubles she won the doubles yeah well what we we should talk about the results of course yep. Djokovic in a near perfect exhibition against Nadal and Asaka who well she looked a little tenuous in that second set but got the job done what did you make of the champions of this year's Australian Open I think Djokovic quite frankly it's scary <laughs> I think we all couldn't believe the level that he held those two semi-finals were absolute fizzes on the men's side. So we all thought we were setting up for at least what would be an incredible final and it didn't live up to any expectations. I don't think Nadal had such a bad day at the office. I just think Djokovic was at levels we haven't seen before. And uh, there is a guy, Craig O'Shaughnessy is his name, and he is the new Djokovic secret weapon. He's been brought on as an analytics expert for Djokovic as part of the coaching team. And just listening to him talk for 20 minutes was completely enthralling because essentially what he's doing is heat mapping all of Djokovic's games, his practice, all of that sort of stuff, and crunching the numbers on his opponents and then working out how to simulate better with the training sessions so that what he calls basically match simulation. So there is no just hitting backhands for 10 minutes. It's like, no, 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 we're going to run a simulation where... I'm serving down the tee and you need to get it to a five point, at least a five stroke rally because we know that your next opponent, once they hit five strokes in a rally, are 65% more likely to lose the rally. So he's all about rethinking the way that things are. And of course, a lot of it can seem hocus pocus or that it's something that every player has access to. But if you look at it on a very tangible level, what they decided to do as a result was that they realized that if Rafa was able to hit his forehand as the first stroke when someone returns his serve, he's 68% more, he's, he's going to win 68% of those points. And that's wow. off the charts. I think when Federer won the US, uh, the Australian Open last time, he was at 48% on his preferable wow. forehand off the serve, off his own serve. So if you give Rafa that opportunity, he's going to smoke you. So what they decided to do was to get Djokovic to stand a little bit closer in on the baseline. And we're only talking half a foot. And it meant that Nadal was on the back foot literally every time he was serving. And he was not able to get on his preferred forehand. And it completely threw his game out. And that's why he never got settled. So it was interesting. And I think, you know, this is going a little bit geeky. But I think that Djokovic is now essentially deciding to devote his time to just thinking how he can be smarter. And this uh, O'Shaughnessy guy was saying, you think that it's Djokovic's athleticism or it's the fact that he can run down every ball, but it's not. It's the fact that he's playing far more smart with his court positioning. So I found that interesting. 
Fascinating. He he took it to another level, a man who we didn't think had another level and has been out of sorts for a couple of years with injury and even some form to, to do what he was able to do. That's incredible analysis. That, that's money ball kind of stuff there. I can't ever remember seeing Nadal get pantsed to be no. absolutely have no answers for three sets and find no capacity to arrest back any momentum. That that was new for me. That was new for me. And uh, incredible too. I haven't been able to find the statistics, but amazed at how few games opponents won in both the semis and the final in the men's side. So Djokovic nailed his player and conceded four games at the same time Nadal conceded only six games. Ten games conceded across six sets between those two guys. And, of course, we're all billed to see the greatest open final of all time. That's what my TV wanted to tell me. And, of course, Nadal can only manage eight games against Djokovic. That's just unheard of. It is unheard of. And I think... The real winners here are the semi-final losers that walked away with a cool one million US dollars in their pocket, which I hope they devote ninety percent to some professional coaching in the forthcoming <laughs> uh, spring season because that was unbelievable that they can basically just not show up and uh, no. still be remembered as semi-finalists. But uh, well, remembered is remembered is a strong word. I can't even remember either of their names. <laughs> Amazing. Not the best tournament for men's tennis, that's for sure. No, but fascinatingly, we've been used to some battle royales on the men's side when at times the women's side has been particularly lopsided. This year it was the other way around. The women's had some incredible battles late in the tournament. What did you make of of the women's side? The Pliskova comeback against Serena Amazing. is one for the ages. And I, I had to I had to rewatch it because I woke up early. I'm obviously sitting here in Copenhagen watching it. So it was a very early start for me. I think it was 5 a.m. And I tuned in halfway through the second set. And then Serena jumps ahead uh, to her, was it a 5-1 lead? Correct, yeah. I think it was in the third. Pliskova just, the comeback there was actually not a choke by Serena. I agree with Serena's post-match conference. I mean, when you watch it and you even see the highlights again, Pliskova just swung for every line and she hit every line. It was just an incredible back-to-the-wall performance. Mm-hmm. So I was really excited uh, that she was able to do that. And, I mean, I then thought that Osaka was going to be in big trouble against Pliskova, but I think Pliskova actually understandably exerted probably too much energy before that semi. So when it got tight, Osaka... And, you know, we talk about level heads of, of uh, Djokovic. Osaka, I mean... There is a payoff to being an extremely boring introvert, and that's, you know, she is the accountant of the tennis world. No offense. Uh, we've lost a few accountant listeners, but uh, I'm okay with that. Kat, is it's worth just checking in with our viewers? And, of course, they're wondering what, why we've got to say anything on the subject of tennis. You and I have been to the Australian Open countless years, front and centre, um, watching Australian open, Australian tennis capitulate before our eyes. For you, what do you love about the great game? I think it's the fact that anyone can pick up a racket and be good at tennis. I mean, <laughs> it's not, it doesn't require a lot of talent. For me, it's more, I'm more into the drama. I like the, I'm, I'm a fan of soap operas. I love what's happening off the court. I love that most professional players no longer have a relationship with one of their parents. And I think that's good for the game. <laughs> I think it shows resilience. Um, and I think it also sends just a great message to the kids out there that if you are getting pressured into something by your parents at a young age, you will eventually reside in Monte Carlo. There must be a just a on father's day and mother's day in monte carlo there must just be a wailing and gnashing of teeth um they're consoled only by the fact that they can then have jeeves fetch their 72 lamborghinis um and have them crash into each other while they munch on some i don't know rare um species of of uh whale that they've personally had harpooned uh, they're not bad people. I don't want to set, send out the wrong signal, but um, yeah. So, anyways, I, I think I think what I like about it is that they are in a pressure cooker environment. They've had a bad upbringing. They're not necessarily nice people, although everybody 
you know, has goodwill towards it. People get personally invested. I love going and watching everyone has a favorite player and, you know, and it brings young and old together to watch and get behind that player. And I feel like, you know, they're emotionally invested in the individual. And let's not mistake it. It's an individual sport. If there was this young breed of brat pack from Australia have taught us anything when playing Davis Cup, it's an individual sport. It's not the most concise response, Lightning, but um, it's nonetheless, it's turned me extremely emotional and it's turned me extremely on. Can we take a break? Can we have a change of ends? Can I call the heat policy under the desk here because I need an ice bath? Well, that is a small snippet of what you'll get at the back end. There's some slicing commentary as well as the um, days of our lives appreciation that Catters will bring uh, as our gossip columnist and uh, European correspondent. So That's right. Us Europeans were a little more liberal than you folk down under, a little more progressive. <laughs> uh, classic. Uh, should I ask what you like about tennis? I guess that would be the the logical next step. Nah, don't worry about it. <laughs> I figured what you like about tennis is getting to hear what I like about tennis. <laughs> exactly. It's time to shift our focus towards some of the up-and-comers of our game in a segment we like to call Fed Up and Poo Down. I'll give you the racket and we'll see how many, ta- see how many times you can return yourself also. Know, you're, you're a professional tennis player. I'm not. Okay. 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 Roger Federer. Year after year, Grand Slam after Grand Slam. I mean, you make it look so easy, and obviously mm. it isn't. How do, how do you keep doing it? Yeah, look, uh, there's no secret behind it, you know. I mean, definitely a very talented player. <laughs> 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 This is a segment we've named after, of course, the two fascinating phenomena that we encounter in the game of tennis. We see the mantle of who will be the next Federer constantly hovering around and, of course, some rise up and look as though they may snatch that mantle and others just seem to, whilst being filled with potential and greatness in waiting, don't ever quite live up to the billing, like, of course, the infamous Mark the Pooh Philippousis. So, of course, this segment, fed up and poo down. Who is up and rising and who is shuffling down and disappointing us? Catters. Yes. Um, well, the, the fed up is a literal changing of the guard in that mm. it happened in, the, in their fourth round match i want to yep. say it's the fourth round um where stefanos sissipas just showed the world that he's ready to take the next step uh it's funny because i saw him play in the hopman cup in the lead up and as the hopman cup is a mickey mouse tournament played i believe on rotnest island against those tiny little <laughs> wallaby things um it's hard to take it the seriously quokkas. the quokkas yes the quokkas uh which i believe also and it, Pardon my ignorance. We're also one of the tribes in um, Game of Thrones. I'm not sure. Is that right? <laughs> I don't know. I I do remember seeing them in Meet the Quackers. Actually. <laughs> Anyways, he managed to fend off a few Quackers and impress me in Perth. Um, but of course, we all know that Perth is more than three hours behind Melbourne. It's about three decades, so it's hard to put much stock. <laughs> In that, hello to our Western Australian listeners. Um, I thought Sissy Pass was something special. I want to say that I called it early. Who would have thought that he would have provided us with what was probably the the match, the men's match of the tournament, I think? Absolutely. Uh, Super impressive. He's the real deal. I also watched an interview following the Australian Open with his father, who was talking about uh, his son and... It was just brilliant because his dad is so down to earth and it shows what a fantastic guy this Stefanos is because he talked about how his son is, you know, he's told his son all the way along to enjoy the moment, embrace it, but be respectful to people. So, you know, growing up, he's always kind of had him 
doing charity work and, and going out and meeting new people and getting outside the tennis bubble. Um, I know that Stefanos last year, late last year, decided to go on a trek by himself out into the wilderness somewhere. Look, it worked for Jesus and it's clearly worked for um, <laughs> Stephanus. Uh, and he just got a new focus. He said, his dad said he came back saying that he had a much greater purpose about his life and understood where he sits in the scheme of things. And anyways, I, I just think this guy is brilliant. And uh, what a great story also that he's Greek and Melbourne has such a huge Greek population. So it was like home court advantage. What's not to like? Absolutely. You, of course, heard the story of Stalactites, which is a very famous Greek restaurant in the centre of Melbourne named a souvlaki after him. Oh, Did you hear that? What an honour. classic. They, they got him in, they got him to name the ingredients, and then they made it. So... Unfortunately, true to his quarterfinal match, it actually gets it comes out cold. Uh, <laughs> that's a real shame. Yeah. So that's the fed up. That's the fed up. Who's your poo down? Who's your poo down? Oh, my poo down is uh, is an easy one. It's uh, Bernard Tomic, Nick Kyrgios, and I'll throw in Kakanakis uh, while mm. I'm at it, just to bundle them all together. This group of youths. I uh, <laughs> I caught them loitering around Rod Laver Arena. They weren't practicing, that's for sure. I'm, I mean, I, I don't know what to say. I've been a huge advocate of Tomic. I no, not not Tomic. Let me get that clear. Tomic never liked the guy. Can't stand the guy. And please don't threaten my family. But I'm just not a fan. Um, Nick Kyrgios, I've been a huge fan of, and I always thought that he'd come good. I've now completely jumped off that. You know I'm either black or white, Matt. Um, <laughs> so I wish him all the best and may God have mercy on his soul. Kokonakis <laughs> is made of glass. I believe there was a film that came out recently about him. He shatters every time he walks out onto the court. Probably needs to find a new sport. Mate, I would even you know, I would even suggest lawn bowls, but my 87-year-old grandmother would whip him at that. He has no... Um, he just lacks a body that's workable, I guess. I, I, I would love to put a better better way of finessing that. Um, maybe he could have a chat to uh, Petra Kvitova about hardening the freak up. <laughs> My point is I don't like their attitudes. I don't like the fact that they're questioning uh, the the man who should never come under question, and that, that is one, Leighton Hewitt. Um He's just a good Aussie, mate, you know? It's, you know, what's wrong with Lele? Nothing's wrong with Lele. And if Lele wants to play flippin' Davis Cup until he's 85, good luck to the guy. I mean, who are you to question that with your fancy cars and your short dyed haircuts? <laughs> uh, basically, what you're saying is Australians men's tennis is poo down. Oh, did I include the demon in that, Mr. Lightning? No, I didn't. It's true. Did I include true. Did I include Josh Eagle in that? <laughs> Former player and now coach to the stars? Did I include It's true. Did I include Wally the Monsieur Monsieur? No, I didn't. <laughs> the Millman the Millman? <laughs> Yes. I guess my biggest problem with these guys are that they just have crap last names that I can't use for anything. Give me That's something true. simple. I know what a Woodford is. I know what I'm getting. I know what a Woodbridge is. I know what I'm getting. I know what an Eagle is. I just don't know what to do with Curios. You know what a Draper is. I know what a Draper is. And yeah. um, <laughs> I know a serial Drapist when I see one. <laughs> Oh, brilliant, brilliant. It's, it's a very understandable fed up and poo down, Catters. Thank you. Um, who is fedding up and pooing down, in your opinion? Well, look, it's hard not to put Osaka in the, in the fedding up. As you said, she's now a multi-slam winning tennis player, so I, I reckon look out. Of course, as you've said, women's tennis, when one is one, that does not necessarily mean more follow, but I think great things are coming. It's hard not, as an Australian, to talk about uh, Barty, I mean, what a rise. She uh, was not all that long ago playing cricket. And then when she worked out that Australians, uh, Australian cricket is in worse shape than Australian's tennis, she jumped back ship. 
uh, to, to playing tennis. So despite the fact she got absolutely spanked by Kvitova in the quarters, she's no doubt on the rise, wouldn't you say, Catters? Definitely. I mean, just a note to our American listeners, cricket is a sport similar to baseball and Australians cheat at it. So <laughs> it's not in great shape at the moment. <laughs> it is true. Pooing down, well, it's hard not to go for Federer. I mean, he was just useless this year, didn't even make a quarterfinal. True. So, uh, you know, he's just not living up to the billing of the next Federer for me. Um, <laughs> but uh, probably more realistic, um, Zvarev, I thought, who is an absolute star and he's only 21, but as the fourth man seated fourth in the world to lose 6-1, to Raonic, he did not show up. In his in his match against Ranich, and he, he's got to deliver. He's four in the world. He's got he's won some Masters tournaments. There's a lot riding on this bloke. He's the most beautiful man in the cosmos. Yes, he's uh, he's got all the weapons, but um, <clears throat> you know, and, and he almost lost to Chardet in the second uh, the second set. He had a bye against an Australian, an Australian <laughs> gap filler in the third round, but um, he almost didn't make it to the fourth round, so incredible. I don't know if you'd agree, but for me, Zvarev's got to be a poo down. I definitely agree. I mean, I think if you look at the scoreboard, Grand Slams to his name, zero. Suvlaki's named after him, zero. <laughs> He's not in a good place at the moment. Uh, lacking confidence, uh, not with the ladies, mind you. I think he's doing quite well in that department. You need to have greater confidence when you say he's more than just a pretty face. Yeah. And I don't think I'm yet. No, right now. And I think the fact that the announcers on court introduce him as just a pretty face wouldn't help. Yeah. But I mean, Absolutely. unless unless he's looking to spin off and host a reality show like Hawkeye for the Queer Guy, I just can't see him <laughs> having any involvement in tennis. <laughs> Very good. We're going to change tact in a segment we like to call Tennis 2.0. Tennis 2.0. So obviously, you've already seen it well established that here at the backhand, as we take very seriously the game of tennis, and particularly the threat of it being dethroned by other sports, who many of whom are experimenting with other forms to sex it up, to improve it, to pimp it up for younger viewers. So we're fascinated in what tennis is doing. They've tried the, the fast four, but what other inventions and innovations does tennis need to make? in order for this to continue to be the greatest game on earth. Catters, what does it need to do? This is my concept. I know that women's, the women's game has been uh, toying with the idea of introducing the coaches being allowed to have a coaching timeout on court. I believe this is allowed on WTA tournaments, but not in the yeah. major Grand Slams. I've seen it at play. It's... Quite interesting, actually, as a viewer to watch, um, to see what they're trying to talk to the players about. And it's often not as tactical as I would have thought because they kind of are just reminding them, look, play to her backhand or get good court position. Mm. What's more interesting is that they're very much trying to calm them down or, or just mm -hmm. remind them, hey, stick to your game. You're fine. It's okay. That, you know, that last set, let it go, blah, blah, blah. So strategic timeouts, I think, are a really cool idea for coaches. However, what I would like to do is suggest that going forward in the Grand Slams, because you and I can agree the Grand Slams are the only thing that matters on a tennis calendar. Going forward, the Grand Slams should adopt a new policy by which you can have one coaching timeout. But the sting in the tail is the coaching timeout is for your opponent where your coach goes and trash talks that opponent for 60 seconds. <laughs> Excellent. To maximize interaction, you are allowed to submit suggestions to that coach. And that coach, for 60 seconds, must only draw upon the abusive tweets that have been played out in the match thus far. So it's like reading mean tweets to your opponent. Um, and I just think it's a great idea because I'm actually a little bit, to be honest, sick of positivity in sport. Um I think it'd be much better if it's an opportunity to psychologically cripple your opponent at any strategic time. <laughs> I love it. I love it. You've covered all bases there. You're bringing the 
you know, the, the, the white knights off their high horses, you're bringing in the fans. I, I love your thinking. So can you give us some examples like if, you know, if Djokovic is on fire against Nadal in the final, mm. he's got no answers, you know, yeah. what are we tweeting in yeah. well, I mean, to, look, to Nadal's coach? Yeah, well, we haven't, we haven't ironed out all the details completely because, of course, Uncle Tony isn't fluent in English um, <laughs> and my Espanol is not great. So it would be something like, por favor, uh, muchachos. Uh, <laughs> uh, Uno, dos, tres. Exactly. Um, and then, and then to be honest, I mean, I think even just, well, yeah, I mean, it's, that's going to be difficult. Uh, but a better example would be, uh, you know, let's, let's workshop you're against Maria Sharapova. Yes. Um, and in that case, I think, let's face it, it can't be 60 seconds. It will have to be 60 minutes because the amount of ammunition <laughs> that you will have stored up from just, Every player in the locking room. I mean, the problem is it's going to be only players' tweets, which is a little bit awkward. Um, yeah, so not an easy one. But, yeah, I don't know. We need to workshop it a little bit more. But I think just the the idea of being able to put someone off their game when they're in full flight is a good one. Excellent. It almost makes me feel that there's a segment in episodes to come of the tweets that we could send into those coaches. I think that's a really you know, good idea. So- Stay yeah. tuned, listen. Yeah, and I mean, again, I think as the podcast kind of progresses, uh, we're going to be re- reliant a lot more on listener-driven content because it's 1 a.m. in Copenhagen right now, and in the future I won't be bothered coming up with an agenda for these shows. <laughs> Just throwing it out there. You've never been one for longevity, so we're relying on you listeners to keep us afloat. This segment is called The Wild Card. Love it. I didn't understand a word you're saying, but it was, it's not important. Cutters, as the expert that you are in this field of tennis, give us give us a, a fact, an anecdote of interest. Uh, hit us up in this wild card segment. Again, this O'Shaughnessy figure who was who is now on the Djokovic staff was talking about the fact that statistically across all levels of tennis, from the pros through to your beginner level, the most common rally is four strokes or under in a rally. So the key is to win those short points because that is actually the vast majority of of points. That's your staple. That's your staple. With that in mind, today's wildcard comes from 1984 where the world record was set for the longest rally of all time. And this was between Vicky Nelson Dunbar and Gene Hepner in a competitive match. This was not to break some sort of Guinness Book of Record uh, feat. In this match, they played a rally that lasted 29 minutes and, and crossed the net 643 times. Whoa. And that is outrageous. Probably the greatest moment of this whole, the greatest part of this whole story is that Nelson won the rally with a lob. A short lob. <laughs> <laughs> what happened? Did they they hit it out? Like, did she approach the net and get fully lobbed? What? what how did this end? How, I don't know. I, I fell asleep at the seventeen minute mark, so yeah, I'm not not entirely sure how it ended. Uh, but actually, no, no, no. Wait, wait. I've got this one. Um, Frodo throws the ring into the fire. I think. <laughs> Surely they're taking the piss. Mate, I, I present the wild cards. I don't defend them. So <laughs> listeners, if you have, I mean, listeners might have an, an angle on this or they might have another wild card for future episodes. I'm just throwing it out there. I'm not saying I've, I've, I've completely shown all my, all my wild cards on the first episode. But um, yeah. so, um, yeah, that's my uh, wild card of the week. Uh, well played, Cadiz. Well you. played. Thank you. It's important we look not only to the court itself, but also off the court. And of course, we'll do that through this segment called Mixed Troubles. You owe me apology. I have never cheated in my life. Count violation, verbal abuse. It's not touching the line. I mean, if we had Hawkeye, you would be so freaking embarrassed right now. 
it's hard to go past the now infamous Tomic press conference where he highlighted Hewitt. Well, basically, he just threw this massive cat amongst the pigeons by naming the great and well-respected Hewitt and saying he doesn't have the players on side with him. Um, this was, of course, later backed up by Curios and Kokonakis, our brat pack of Aussie tennis players. It's just a guy loses a tennis match and all of a sudden we're talking about Hewitt. I mean, it's fascinating. Who, Who's not in the tournament, who has no bearing on the tournament, and all of a sudden we're not talking about Tomic losing another match, but of course we're talking about someone else. So, you know, good PR work, but, but lousy, lousy work. Apparently they've just started mediation together which is really interesting both Tomic and Hewitt but the problem's been that Tomic can only be bothered finishing 75% of his sentences so they're not <laughs> really getting much traction it's difficult yeah and I mean I thought the choice to have um, Pablo Buster as the mediator fresh off the court <laughs> was an interesting one um, just adds another spice <laughs> Hewitt's just taking this role over from Paddy Rafter and Newcomb, some, some greats. I mean, this is a, a, a position of esteem, and yet Tomic's just gone and, you know, shat straight on straight on top of it. Incredible. And, of course, you know, our tennis fans will know that Australia has just won its Davis Cup tie to get back into the, the lead group, and neither Kyrgios nor Tomic, Australia's arguably best two tennis players, they weren't picked. They weren't picked, and, of course, Australia did the business without them. So... What a chump is the old Tomic. Unbelievable player. Even listening to interviews during the week and him literally saying, I've built a career on 50% effort. A professional tennis player. And of course, like unbelievable when last year to try and um, demonstrate his steel to us Australian viewers, he went on, I'm a celebrity, get me out of here. Like it was just unbelievable. And he did. He showed us his mettle. He left after three days on the show. Like this guy is just... One of the great, I don't know, how would you describe him, Cutters? I'll, I'll offer you the chance. I mean, I have already overstepped the legal mark multiple times on this podcast, <laughs> so I'm going to refrain. But what I will say is that he, it's, again, tennis is not a difficult sport to endear yourselves to the public, right? Correct. It's the easiest crowd in the world post-match, right? And Australians mm. absolutely want to get on board with these guys. But Tomic, at every stage that the Australian collective public hand has extended itself to him, he slapped it away at every possible opportunity. Kyrgios is the one that I'm more interested in. I still, something in me still believes that he's got it if he wants it, but it's sliding fast. Like, we're talking the next two years is make or break for him it's the hardest thing to watch though isn't it it's the hardest thing to watch when he has the talent he has and don't forget the two guys we're talking about we're talking about them in reference to Hewitt a man who we as tennis fans had to tolerate him abusing linesmen abusing umpires don't forget he was not an innocent you know he wasn't a sportsman that we all loved in fact he was exceptionally disliked but by the end of his career he'd won us over mm. through his effort through his learning through his growing up so we've been this road before and we've offered these guys a lot of grace we've offered both tomic and curios time to grow up but surely time's running out this is like you know we have a thing called tim tams in australia and tim tams are amazing chocolate biscuits that almost possess magical powers you could say <laughs> and they are a cultural icon and it's as if you've ripped open a packet and these two guys have just urinated on my packet of Tim Tams. Such is the anxiety that it's caused the Australian sports-loving public. And I'm now stuck trying to complete a Tim Tam slam with soggy biscuits. <laughs> Thanks for nothing, Bernard Tomic and Nick Kyrgios. <laughs> I didn't expect this episode to, to finish up on the topic of Soggy Biscuits, so thank you for taking us to uncharted territory, Cutters. A 
final segment to bring this ship home is called Super Tiebreak. It's our, our predictions, our final conclusions. Kat, as look into that beautiful crystal ball of yours, what do you see on the horizons? Lightning, a couple for the listeners, uh, just to take out as final thoughts. First is, I think, in spite of all the fanfare that Andy Murray had at the Australian Open, I think he's going to heal miraculously from the hip injury. I saw on social media that Stan the Man sent him a life-size teddy bear for him to embrace while he goes through his post-op rehab. I think he's going to be back at Wimbledon fit and ready to roll. He'll skip the French Open, which we can all forgive him because it's not a real tournament because it's played on clay. Uh, (laughs) Secondly, Eugenie Bouchard, let's just spare a thought for her. She was the toast of the women's tennis world only four years ago. I see now that just this weekend, she lost at Newport to a compatriot, lower-ranked compatriot from Canada, uh, 6-2, 6-0, and bombed out of the Newport tournament. Wow. She, my prediction is she will be out of the top 100 by the next time we record this podcast. Woof. Uh, the Bouchard bomb here yes. on the, the free, backhanders. Free fall from the Canadian. So um, There yes. you go. What have you, you got go. for us, Matt, as your final uh, reflections, thoughts, comments? Well, check this out, Kat. As a bold prediction, Djokovic to win the Grand Slam this year. How's what? That? Okay, you're not you're not including the French in the Grand Slam, are you? Correct. We <laughs> both know that any Grand Slam does not need to include the French Open. It is it is not a legitimate tournament. Uh, it, the circus that they call the French Open, uh, the buy that they have, the tennis players need a tournament off. So, of course. You know, one in four slams, that's just a bit of Mickey Mouse, is uh, is fun. I can't wait for them to tell Nadal as he finishes his career that none of his 12 French Opens were legitimate. So that, that'll be fantastic. In the true spirit of being the French Open, the players should go on strike <laughs> yes. to relate to local culture. So I think it totally makes sense. <laughs> Another bold prediction though, on the French Open, which of course neither of us will be watching, so we won't actually be able to verify this. But my understanding is, my, my guess is, that Nadal will win the French Open in absentia. He'll just roll up, closing ceremony, take home his giant dish to serve up his duck on and, um, yeah, take home number 12. Maybe uh, Uncle Tony showing up on a Segway, perhaps. <laughs> oh, good. Bit of a showman. Just making a giant paella in the, uh, in the bowl. <laughs> on the back of a bull. That would be fantastic. <laughs> no, no, no cultural stereotypes at all in the backhanders. <laughs> My understanding too, and this is more scuttlebutt than prediction, that Kyrgios and Tomic are actually going to play mixed effort doubles together, <laughs> which I think would be fantastic to watch. Mixed effort doubles should be part of Tennis 2.0 in the next episode, but we'll <laughs> yes. explore that. We'll unpack it more. We'll unpack it more. And finally, uh, a bold one again, Asaka to smile in an on-court interview. There it is. You've heard it here. Bold prediction. Oh, I know. And look out. Look out. I look forward to returning to see the accuracy of both our analysis and our predictions. Thank you for listening to The Backhanders. And, of course, as we like to say here on the podcast, quiet, please. (laughs) 